A passionate call for action Friday morning in St. George. Several police officers on standby as many locals called concerns about coronavirus spikes overblown. The flu kills more than coronavirus. Others calling the virus a hoax or stating that asymptomatic carriers simply do not exist and they cannot be forced to wear masks anywhere as citizens of the United States. If we want to wear a mask, that's fine. We can take care of ourselves. Some rally attendees say they shouldn't ever wear masks if they have any medical issues or mental health concerns or if they feel they simply can't breathe. When George Floyd was saying, I can't breathe, and then he died, and now we're wearing a mask, and we say, I can't breathe, but we're being forced to wear it anyway. But many say that they believe in all cases, masks jeopardize kids' health. Parents are demanding they have the right to decide what to do with their children. I'll tell you another reason I hate masks. Most child molesters love them. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Hey now. Hey now. Broadcasting live to tape from the New Society Show Theater. In the most standoffish city in the world, outside of Austria, Seattle, Washington. I'm listening. You're listening to the Society Show. You know, we're living in a society. It's about 2.30 Pacific time, Pacific Daylight Times, uh, and the date is... Tuesday, September 22nd, 2.24 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or maybe officially Pacific Daylight Time. I'm not sure how that works. Oh my god, who the hell cares? Whatever time you may be listening, that's the time here, and that's why this is live to tape, so... Society. On today's episode... Today I'm going to talk about a a few stories in the Facts and Logic Report, which is where I talk about international news typically. Uh, I only have a few stories, but I'm going to go a little more in depth, talk about them a little more than I normally do. Usually it's a rapid fire segment. Then uh, I'm going to take a a break to talk about some news stories that are coming out of the U.S. For example, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying is one of them. And also the fires that were on the West Coast. I talked about it last week because it was smoky as hell uh, when I recorded. But now we've had a week, the rain has come and washed away the smoke and... uh, So now we should look back with it with a little bit of space. And also, a whistleblower alleges medical neglect and questionable hysterectomies of ICE detainees. We're going to talk about that, that absolute grotesque story. I don't have a lot to add about any of those three things, but we will talk about it. And then I have a fun little parody of Forensic Files, if you're familiar with that show, uh, that we're going to do after that. And finally, I'm going to talk a lot about Peter Thiel. BuzzFeed recently published 
more proof that Peter Thiel is inextricably tied to the far right. So what I'm going to do, I'm not exactly going to talk about the specifics in the article, but I am going to go into what we are pretty sure that Peter Thiel's personal ideology is, how he uses that ideology, um, more of the structural and ideological side of how Peter Thiel operates. Um, should be an interesting show. I'm trying to mix it up, do some fun stuff, and uh, I have some announcements the society show will actually start having guests a lot more frequently as of now i have three guests planned out for the next four weeks uh so hopefully those uh stay intact don't fall through uh so that should be nice and i'm gonna talk about all of that and much much more but first. But first, but first, but first, but first, but first, but first. It's time for the facts and logic report. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. Hey now. These are facts. China, Iran, and Russia have all dismissed allegations that three country that the three countries have mounted hacking attempts on organizations involved in the 2020 U.S. presidential election. I don't know if you saw this, but these were accusations being made by uh, different parts of the U.S. state. So let's go into the denials. Cao Lijian, China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson, said, quote, Microsoft should not make things out of nothing and shouldn't drag China into this. What? The U.S. election is its internal affair. What? We have no interest and have never interfered. What? He called the U.S., quote, the world's largest cyber attacker, end quote. What? He also said U.S. companies install technology and products. What? To collect personal data for U.S. intelligence. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Iran's foreign ministry spokesman Saeed Katabizadeh said about the claim, "Quote: This report is basically inadmissible and absurd." What? The U.S.'s leading disinformation campaigns against other countries. What? There, therefore, the U.S. is not in a position to have such a claim. Headshot. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov took a different tact and said, I don't read Microsoft's reports. On what basis does Microsoft believe that these are Russian hackers? Why didn't they, for example, come to the conclusion that they were French or German hackers or an Estonian group? Hey now. <laughs> Amazon will hire another 10,000 people to keep up with a surge of online orders. Makes me laugh. The jobs are all, or almost all, in packing and shipping, both full-time and part-time. Amazon added the jobs, added that the jobs are not related to the typical uptick in holiday hiring. Relax, be cool, man. 
Speaking of the Amazon, the Amazon rainforest. Was it good? I don't know. A top Brazilian expert on isolated Amazon tribes was killed by an arrow in the chest as he approached an indigenous site. These would be gods of the New World Order. These are facts. He was in the area to monitor a tribe as part of his works with the government's indigenous agency FUNAI. Well, it sucks. FUNAI is an abbreviation for, in English at least, the National Indian Foundation. It is Brazil's organization for protecting and promoting indigenous interests. FUNAI has been seriously reformed and cut under Bolsonaro. Then pay with your blood. <laughs> this country is so screwed up, man. A cop who witnessed the arrow shooting said, quote, He cried out, pulled the arrow from his chest, ran 50 meters, and collapsed lifeless. A photojournalist who also witnessed it, witnessed it said the tribe was usually a, quote, peaceful group. Kumbaya, my lord. Kumbaya. But, quote, this time there was just five armed men, a war party. Ranchers and loggers have destroyed much of the nearby forests in recent years and have threatened to destroy more of the region. An indigenous rights group called Survivor Survival International said in a release that his death was almost certainly a response to the immense pressure that the forests and its people are under. Wow. Venezuela's chief prosecutor said that an American was arrested in Venezuela as a suspected spy. He has been charged in alleged terrorist plot to sabotage oil refineries and the electrical grid. That's a spicy meatball! <laughs> The man named Matthew John Heath, alleged to have CIA ties, hey now. had help from three Venezuelan conspirators who were arrested with him last week near a pair of oil refineries. Hey now. Authorities said cell phones taken from the men included images of suspected targets such as a large bridge military installations, and dilapidated oil refineries. Hey, what happened? The prosecutor showed pictures of equipment allegedly seized from the group, including... What? A grenade launcher. What? Plastic explosives. What? A satellite phone. What? And a bag of U.S. dollars. Venezuelan's chief prosecutor said Heath entered Venezuela illegally via the, via the Colombian border and he was supposedly carrying a coin linking him to the CIA. 
I'm intrigued by the coin detail. Like, I would believe CIA agents do have some weird esoteric, like, icon coin system uh, to signif signify their agent status. But maybe not. Maybe it's, I would just believe a lot of weird stuff about the CIA. So I'll put it that way. Venezuela's treat okay so the Venezuela's chief prosecutor not only accused him of being CIA but uh, he was also identified as a former marine Yankee, go home. the US special envoy for Venezuela and Iran coupmonger and convicted criminal <laughs> <Got he. laughs> Elliot Abrams released a statement. His statement was rather ambiguous and didn't outright deny. He said, quote, from everything I've seen, I can say the United States government did not send Mr. Heath to Venezuela, end quote. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? The United Arab Emirates established diplomatic ties with Israel for the first time last month. What? Now, another Gulf state, Bahrain, has established diplomatic ties with Israel as well. Unfortunately, yes. This signifies more incoming hard times for Palestinians as more of the world, especially the Arab world, uh, is now starting to attempt to normalize Israel as it currently exists. When you hear about Middle Eastern geopolitics, it's often worth remembering that Iran and Saudi Arabia have had a cold war with one another since the Iranian Revolution. Well, it sucks. The Saudi Arabia side of the conflict is closer to Israel, while the Iranian side is more anti-Israel. This is why, it, I mean, but that's really oversimplifying it because there are elements of Saudi Arabia that is anti-Israel, but in terms of geopolitical alignment, Saudi Arabia and Israel are aligned. Unfortunately, yes. This is why Israel focuses a lot of their aggression against factions like Hamas and Hezbollah, who are allied with Iran, while they tend to turn, have more of a tendency to turn a blind eye to Sunni radicals or radicals who are associated with Saudi Arabia or other countries within that power block with Saudi Arabia. And when it comes to Bahrain specifically, it's worth noting that Bahrain is one of only four Shia majority countries. The other three are Iran, Iraq, and Azerbaijan. However, Bahrain is unique for being the only Shia country. What? What you say? It's the only Shia country that's ruled by a Gulf state style Sunni dynastic monarchy. In the same style that, you know, Kuwait, Kuwait um, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, UAE. All of these places have the same sort of dynastic monarchy system. Even the, and they're all Sunni, even though Bahrain is a majority Shia. 
Because of this, Shiites face a lot of discrimination, despite being the majority, which led to the uprisings in Bahrain during the Arab Spring. The uprisings weren't successful, though, and the House of Khalifa are still in power. These would-be gods of the New World Order. In contrast, another nearby Gulf state, Qatar. In the past on the show, I've said Qatar. I think it's Qatar. 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 I don't really know how to say it. I've heard it as Qatar a lot, but that might be wrong. Um, But Qatar declined to establish similar ties with Israel. Qatar is also a Gulf monarchy like the UAE, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia. But since 2017, a Saudi-led coalition of other Gulf states withdrew diplomatic relations with Qatar. Well, it sucks. The biggest reason for the diplomatic crisis is, let's go, first of all... You had your chance, okay? Saudi Arabia accuses Qatar of supporting terrorism, which is, you know, really rich coming from Saudi Arabia. That's us! I say make the ball! Saudi Arabia also hates Al Jazeera, and one of the demands they eventually made is to shut down Al Jazeera. You are fake news. Saudi Arabia also hates that Qatar has ties to Iran, and one of their demands was reducing diplomatic ties with Iran. Well, that would be your opinion. I'd have to beg to differ. It's also fact. It's not... Because of this conflict, Qatar has moved more into the Iranian and, to some extent, Turkish power block in the Middle East. This makes it clear why a country like Bahrain would normalize ties with Israel because of who they're associated with, and Qatar, on the other hand, has moved over to the more Iranian side. So it's not a surprise that Bahrain followed the suit of the UAE, but Qatar did not. Oh, good for you! Last episode, I talked about repression in Pakistan. I mentioned that Pakistan is the only country in the world explicitly declared in the name of Islam. Makes me laugh. About 95% of the country is Muslim, and only about 6% of those are Shiites. Because of that, Pakistan tends to be repressive to Shiites. Oh my. Having said that, there are now news reports coming out, like, just on that specifically, that reiterate what I just said. Oh my. Rights groups in Pakistan say they are alarmed over rising blasphemy cases in the past months. Many of these cases have been registered against Shiites. The rights groups say Shiites are under increased pressure from fundamentalist Sunnis. Recently, hardline Sunni groups organized a large-scale rally against Shiites in Pakistan's largest city, Karachi. Thousands of people participated in the demonstration and chanted anti-Shiite slogans, including... Shia Kafir, which means Shiites are infidels. My wife. 
Alright, this next story is sad, so I'm not going to use the soundboard. But, uh, so, Mozambique has been waging war against Al-Shabaab, which is an ISIS and Al-Qaeda-affiliated group primarily in the northern part of the country. Al-Shabaab has traditionally been in Somalia, but also has a presence in Mozambique and other East African countries. But sadly, a horrific video of the Mozambique military executing a naked woman on a dirt road uh, has surfaced. And in the video, speaking in Portuguese, the supposed soldier said, You're from Al-Shabaab, as well as, Kill her on the side of the road. Um, As the state military has been gaining control of territory from Al-Shabaab, there's been increasing reports of violence from the military itself. So they basically reclaim an area from this Al-Qaeda affiliate, but then also abuse human rights after taking over. The government condemned the execution and other reports of human rights abuse from the military, but they also distanced themselves, claiming that oftentimes Al-Shabaab insurgents impersonate the military. And for our last story, this is what we call a zany wild story. (laughs) In eight people... Why did I just say that? In Indonesia, eight people who broke anti-mask laws... You know, it's time for our state to be opened up. They were sentenced to... Dig the graves for COVID victims themselves. Makes me laugh. My wife. And with that, this has been the Facts and Logic Report. Nope, not gonna work. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. Hey now. These are facts. Now getting into American news, you know, there's been, like I said, fires on the West Coast. It was very smoky here. Now the air is pretty clear because it's rained. Fire! 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 (laughs) And then on top of that, there's also been hurricane issues in the south. I I think there was another hurricane in Atlanta. There was that, like, big hurricane that hit Louisiana and Texas earlier. Uh, So things are looking pretty bleak. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. One thing I want to touch on is the fake arson reports. Um, This has been a really prevalent news story that, like, Antifa super soldiers are lighting the fires and uh, killing the people. Fire! 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 (laughs) And uh, I want to say this is based on a certain type of... I mean, in Australia, they had people saying the same thing about their fires. And there was also, you know, uh, let's go there, the Reichstag fires. I gotta say, there's, 
I think there reaches a, condi- a, a condition in society. Society reaches a point in time in society. It's always at varying degrees. Like the Australian fires, they blamed it on like immigrants or Antifa super soldiers. Something like that. Anything besides global warming. So. You burn, bitch. I heard the story. Maybe it comes in varying scales. Like sometimes. Sometimes it's Antifa. Sometimes it's immigrants, sometimes only a few people believe it, sometimes a lot of people believe it. Fucking assholes! But, uh, I think when society reaches a certain point, society. a point of crisis where people aren't sure what exactly, they, they know something's wrong, but they're not sure what exactly to do. They start getting really paranoid, and they start regressing into this uh, paranoid world where your position in society always feels threatened, and you're always lashing out against that threat. I think that is so ripe in our society right now. This is like intense distrust and not it's it's like a hatred mixed with a distrust uh, that Americans have like of everyone else P- and people just thinking the world revolves around this like absolutely bogus culture war i mean the type of things that people get fixated on they have no actual impact on these people's lives they mean nothing but they get so fixated on them and they flame out on facebook all day about the most pointless crap honestly dude honestly it's so ridiculous because all they are is they're paranoid, they're stuck at home, uh, they don't know what to do, they're, they could go homeless, and they don't know anything about the way the world works. And when you're in that situation, honestly, what conclusions do you think they'll come to? Honestly. They'll come up with some crazy crap and, like, uh, deny reality in order to reinforce their paranoid beliefs. Um, And these fires have really revealed that, man. These people are honestly Honestly. paranoid as shit. Like, stopping people uh, as they drive through towns in Oregon. Like, we need to check for your Antifa license. We need to check for that. We cannot let Antifa super soldiers in 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 watermelon white watermelon town or Oregon Oregon. I say watermelon because they grow a lot of watermelons in eastern Oregon. I, I maybe the ten, I forget. There's Hermiston. I think they grow a lot of watermelons there. We need to stop you Antifa super soldiers. That's about all I have to say about that. Uh, Another thing in the news. um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Rest in peace. And then another thing, sadly, I mean... And Democrat... I mean, the real issue is, obviously... 
That means if Trump can push a judge through, then it would be six to three in the conservatives' favor. And the biggest conclave of conservatives in America. Uh, that that would be the the real oil, the grease on the wheels of the United States to just really accelerate to full-blown fascism, honestly. I think that that the, the parts are in place, but that would really help. And, uh, it, it's a, it's bad vibes, honestly. Now, the Democrats have Democrats have done nothing. A lot of them, them have been insisting that they wait until the election. And uh, they, they're really like, we're going to fight for it to make sure this does not happen uh, before, the, before the election. Sure, Jan. But of course, it's really, really hard to believe them because they don't really fight for anything. I'm going to talk about this more in the episode, but... Democrats have done nothing. Uh, I'm going to give a little a little sn sneak peek. Nikos Poulantzis was this uh, Marxist theorist, and he has this idea that okay. whenever fascism starts to develop, there always is a resistance to it within the state. In fact, uh, they they all can even rally against this sort of fascistic movement and kind of try to stop it and they want to stop it a lot of them do but by the time they're reacting to it uh it's too late and they fascism only starts developing when there are splat uh, the, to start this quest to, to, to start the to start this quest to, to, to start quest to, to, to when there's splinters and fractures within dominant class and uh, party class uh, relations connections inner class connections when those start splintering that's when it's ripe for fascism to like kind of grow between the cracks and then develop. Uh, but the pieces will all resist it, but once it starts growing, they won't really be able to resist it as much as uh, they think they could or what have you. So, I, I really don't think the Democrats are going to do crap. They were constantly crapping on themselves. To stop the, the court from going 6-3. They and but then they'll convince you that they did do crap, but they're not going to do crap. They were constantly crapping on themselves. It's honestly, honestly pathetic. And I will say, I would love to eat my words and be proven wrong by the Democrats. But uh, if you always predict the worst possible worst possible outcome with the Democrats you'll usually predict right. So, uh, I won't hold my breath. I cannot, I cannot on my daughter's birthday believe that you would sit there and do some crap. And with my last report, um, I want to touch on this because I feel like it's important to touch on it. I need to speak my piece on it, but I don't have much to say. I feel like 
what what else could I say that someone else hasn't said? But I gotta touch on these questionable, um, forced. I would I would accurately describe these as forced hysterectomies. Uh, pretty pretty safely happening in ice facilities. Uh, it it makes me sick. Like our country is actually sick. And uh, I don't even know what to say. Like all I can say is the all I can say is the Democrats have to freaking do something about it. But we know they aren't going to do anything about it. Democrats have done nothing. Uh, it's pathetic, and it it makes me really sad because I I just don't know why. Why this could possibly be allowed to happen? See, I don't know why. I mean, I know why. Like, the world in the U.S. specifically is a really cruel ass. Uh, it's cruel, but um, yeah, I, I have. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have talked about it because I really just have nothing to say about it. It's just sickening. And the fact that anyone could possibly defend this is even more sickening. Up next. What happens when two young Americans want to do coke in Italy? We wanted to get zooted. Mental effects of cocaine may include an intense feeling of happiness, loss of contact with reality, or agitation. Physical symptoms may include a fast heart rate, sweating, and large pupils. A drug deal gone bad, and a dead cop later. They had a night in Rome they'll never forget. This was a big-time murder, folks. Big time. Very sad. As far as I know, George, first-degree murder is illegal in every country in the world. This is The Society Show. The city of Rome was founded after Romulus drank from a wolf titty and murdered his brother. He needs some milk! Fast forward 2700 years to the year 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. Breaking any conceivable coronavirus measure you could imagine, 19-year-old Finnegan Elder and 18-year-old Gabriel Natal Hjorth traveled from the United States to Italy in July. By the way, I thought there was a U.S. travel ban to Europe, but maybe it hadn't started yet. I don't view it as an act of God. I would view it as, uh, as uh, something that just surprised the whole world. On the eastern banks of the Fiume Tavere, 
in the nightlife district of Trastevere, young Finnegan and Gabriel were fiending for cocaine. They found a man who claimed to have cocaine hookups. He brought them to the dealer, then they parted ways. The two Americans then tried out the drugs and realized they were fake. Poke habit. All I'm doing is Xanax cocaine and marijuana. They went back to the square and found the middleman hookup. They stole his bag with his phone in it. It was the crack you never come back. It was somehow fundamentally different than someone in a beautiful neighborhood like this sniffing a line of cocaine would get not automatic sentence for. The middleman called his phone in re to reach them. The Americans said they wanted cash and good coke. Poke habit. The middleman agreed. Poke habit. Meanwhile, the middleman called the police to report the theft. It seems like the middleman was an informant. Then, two plainclothes cops approached young Finnegan and Gabriel. What about drugs? You doing some of that crack cocaine? You on the pipe? Finnegan thought the cops were henchmen of the man who sold them bad drugs. So he stabbed one of them at least eight times and he died later in the hospital. That's not a knife. That's a knife. The teens were then arrested in their hotel room with a bloody knife and bloody clothes were found hidden in the roof paneling of the room. They had just purchased last minute tickets back to the US and were on the way to the airport when they were detained. They spoke in court recently for the first time they have spoken in public since they've been in the Italian prisons. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of the show, and I do mean the rest, going real in-depth about Peter Thiel. And uh, stay tuned for the end, because I have a big world-class first-time announcement to make here on the society show i'm gonna be calling out peter teal but first 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 i'm gonna spell out exactly what i have wrong with this guy why he's such crap bazinga 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 bazinga, bazinga. and i'm uh, gonna really Spell it out, and uh, let's let's just get right into it, why don't we? Hey now. 
BuzzFeed published a report stating that Peter Thiel has many connections to white nationalists and the far right. A lot of the things in BuzzFeed's reporting were fairly well known, like his connection to Curtis Yarvin and how his association with a, oh, and how his associate, sorry, Jeff Giese, organized the Deplorable. If you don't remember that, it was some like it was like um, a big event for uh, the tr- Trumper right and the far right to kind of intermix. Can uh, I do that? There's so let, let's let's go into it with Curtis Yarvin and. Milo Yapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapapap
exchanging raw commodities to global colonies was the most useful way of accumulating value in a system where you control global colonies. In a place like Germany, a strong, bureaucratic, centralized state is more compatible with their mode of production. At this point in history, it wasn't clear that capitalism would replace feudalism. It wasn't even clear that feudalism was on the verge of being surpassed. So, that's the historical context that cameralism was working under. Cameralism is generally credited with the origins of bureaucracy, at least in Europe. Like, East Asian societies had things resembling bureaucrats going much earlier, but... I'm losing it! So all of that raises the question, what would cameralism look like today in 2020? This is 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. Well, according to Curtis Yarvin, it would be a complete fusion of the state and industry. The state would be fused with a mega corporation, and all corporations function as subsidiaries of the state corporation. This leads me to the main tenet of neo-reactionary thought, which is anti-democracy, explicit anti-democracy. Neo-reactionaries are anti-democracy because they want the state to be like a corporation, and corporations are some of the least democratic institutions imaginable. Peter Thiel himself even acknowledged this when he uh, wrote, quote, I no longer believe that freedom and democracy are compatible, end quote. What he means by freedom is the freedom to control little private monar monarchies, um, and by private monarchies, I mean corporations. The so-called economic freedom of being able to exploit others as a capitalist is absolutely opposed to democracy. And in this way, this is a small thing that I appreciate about Peter Thiel. He knows exactly how things work. So even though I oppose everything he stands for, he also opposes everything I stand for and, you know, what common people stand for. But the difference is he knows that. He knows exactly his role in society and he doesn't really try to hide it either. Another thing we can see about cameralism is how that economic and political structure could go hand in hand with racist, xenophobic, and generally fascistic social and cultural structures. So, you know, cameralism is uh, aligning state and corporate interests. In other words, making the state more capitalist. Groovy, smashing, yay capitalism! <laughs> Remember, since cameralism, the state and corporate interests align, then ideally every facet of our society is directed towards capital accumulation. Our society... Society. 
already, like, the U.S. society, if you live here, is already mostly aligned towards capital accumulation almost entirely. Like, every part of it that isn't just, like, having to do with emotions, per interpersonal stuff, and even a lot of interpersonal stuff, is completely aligned to accumulating capital. But the neo-reactionaries want to... Uh, submit that as the actual policy of the state. Look, we're not all just accumulating capital because we happen to live in, in a capitalist society. You're going to have to accumulate capital to make the state, to advance state interests. You have to accumulate to capital in everything you do to be, uh, that's how you demonstrate your worth, basically. The more capital you make, the more better you, a person you are. Sorry I'm getting tongue-tied, but... Qua to, 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 start, to start this... Qua to, to, to start... Qua keep in mind... Keep in mind what... Um, what aligning everything towards capital would entail. For one, eugenics would widely be promoted. Social worth would become even more quantified with more systems like credit store scores and sta standardized tests of human worth similar to IQ tests. Those will become more prevalent. And all of this is complementary and compatible with extreme racism. In fact, imagine your average redneck neo-Nazi. I don't even believe this. This is what the Nazis believe. Just your just dope KKK neo-Nazi. He certainly doesn't want a world run by a bunch of Peter Thiel's, right? He, I mean, maybe he would, because Peter Thiel's white, I, I guess, but uh, he's also gay. But uh, far-right, so maybe a neo-Nazi wouldn't like a gay guy ruling the world. I, I don't know, maybe he would. Either way, far-right extremism in action leads to a more oppressive state which in turn benefits private data, information, surveillance companies, um, having increasingly state-like power. So let me say that again, just so I'm clear. I don't even believe this. This is what the Nazis believe. When there's far-right extremists, it leads to a more oppressive state, which in turn benefits Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel benefits from a more oppressive state. He has so many government contracts and almost almost all of his contracts revolve around being repressive. It's like security, data collection, surveillance. Um, so whether your average ultra-racist neo-Nazi knows it or not, they are enabling these pencil-neck neoliberal tech capitalists like Peter Thiel. I'm losing it! And, th and the thing is, Peter Thiel knows this. The dumb redneck doesn't know it. He's just like, white power, folks, white power. But Peter Thiel knows that that dumbass is helping enable him. Um, to get deeper into this, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I want to look at Nikos Poulantzis' analysis of fascism because he has one of the most thorough explanations of it possible. And I'll also mix in some of my own ideas, so don't think I'm like paraphrasing from Poulantzis, but 
these are generally his ideas, um, and this should help explain why the neo-reactionary ideological realm where Peter Thiel resides is, in fact, fascistic. Listen, man, let me tell you something. So, Poulantz spells out the process of fascism, and it has several steps, different facets to it, but, uh... The first kind of step for Palancis is that, quote, the rise of fascism corresponds to the deepening and sharpening of the internal contradictions between the dominant classes and class fractions, end quote. There's a famous Walter Benjamin quote that says, um, that says, quote, behind every fascism, there's a failed revolution. And this is a good and illustrative quote, but... Not to toot my own horn, but... Polance's analysis suggests it's more substantially different. Because if fascism is a failed revolution, then that implies fascism emerges out of the same conditions as communism, which... It could be true. I mean, it like this quote was true for the German Revolution and Nazi Germany, but it's not universally true. Communism arises when tensions between classes become so strong that the oppressed class gains class consciousness and overthrows the power block, as Poulances calls it. In other words, communism comes from class consciousness, realizing what class you're in, and rising up against the oppressive class. Fascism arises when the system, of, when the, the political and economic system is so impenetrable that it feels like nothing can be done, and the, and the individual actors amongst the power block have agendas, but the structure of the state doesn't allow the agenda through. You shall not pass. In other words, fascism, if communism is about conflict between classes, fascism results from a, a stalemate, uh, a power struggle with no winner, a constant just backsliding that doesn't really result in any progression because the power block cannot agree on anything. They, they basically will themselves to be ineffectual. It's about inner class conflict where fascism arises. Hating poor Americans, making fun of Bernie Sanders supporters as basement dwellers who you helped what in the basement? So, to put it another way, when people talk about how polarized the U.S. is, how polarized our country is, what they really mean is that within our government, the right-wing faction is going further right, and small segments of the Democrats, Democratic Party are going further left. In the U.S. especially, people develop their political opinions by repeating claims made by the power block. So when people say things are increasingly polarized, what they are identifying is that our society... You know, we're living in a society... ...is progressing towards failure in the structures we have in place do not allow for solutions to exist. 
Because of this, the power block increasingly looks for solutions while the state stagnates. For most politicians, this means going further right, because they've always believed the right wing offers solutions. Even Democrats think, think this. Liberals have really failed. So in the most basic sense, communism arises when there's an irreconcilable conflict between the oppressed class and the power block. Fascism arises when there's irreconcilable conflict within the power block. The next step along the way to fascism is, as the tension within the power block increases, hegemony becomes fractured, the power block becomes splintered, and they have internal struggles to establish their factional hege hegemony. This can be seen with MSNBC and CNN who want to establish a technocratic, neoliberal, centrist he hege hegemony, and Fox News, who wants to establish a far-right, evangelical, fascistic hegemony. Well, I'll actually take that back. I don't know if Fox News wants a explicitly fascistic hegemony. I think what they want is a right wing that enables the fascists enough um, to let them influence society but not actually give them power. I think that's what Fox News would ideally want. Hey, Mom! The meatloaf! We want it now! The meatloaf! In fact, um, all Poulancis is really saying so far, just to put these two steps together, is as society starts failing, there are tensions in society. You know, we're living in a society! The power block, in an attempt to alleviate that tension, can't come together for an actual solution. So instead, the power block focuses on cultural issues to assert their hegemony, because hegemony is power enacted in the cultural realm. This is what we call a culture war. You're a, a, a culture war warrior. So I'm just trying to spell this all out in different ways. So in another way to look at it is fascism develops when the power block is unable to meet the needs of the working class. So they instead turn to the culture war to convince people to be on their side without offering anything tangible. I mean, the U.S. has always been dominated by the culture war, but it's at, at an absolutely disgusting level at this point. So once this starts happening is when fasc fascism and fascists start gaining power. Poulantzis writes, quote, The conjecture of fascism and the start of the growth of fascism correspond to a crisis of party representation, end quote. What this means is that fascism starts fully metastasizing in the state once there's a severing of ties between the power block and political parties. And consequently, parties no longer to symbolize specific interests. And you may be thinking, well, all these things have been true for in the U.S. for a long time. Like, there was a study from, I think, Yale a few years ago, people bring it up a lot, where they learned factually that the U.S. government does not do what voters want them to do. Just do it! 
votes have no influence on what they do. I feel like there has been a crisis of party representation in the U.S. for a long time, but maybe we're just now starting to reap what we sow. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. The Democrat and Republican parties have minor policy differences, like very minor. What they sell to you more than anything is a feeling and aesthetic. And even in situations where the Democrats and Repu Republicans do differ in tangible ways, Democrats, Democrats don't fight for the policies they ostensibly stand for. Poulances writes, quote, and, and just so you know, he used these exact words, but I took out uh, some extraneous words to just make it clear for audio, but he writes, quote, Traditional political parties of the bourgeoisie at no time adopted fascism completely, but even tried at times when it was too late to oppose its accession to power. When these parties agreed to form governments with fascist participation, they did so only with the stated object of throttling the fascist parties, that is, of getting rid of them after using them against the masses, end quote. Democrats reluctantly, so-called, enable fascistic elements of the right because the center-left thinks they can use the fascist right to make the far-left shut up. You shut up! You stupid idiots! Democrats think once the far right gets shut up by the fascists, everything will return to the unchanging status quo we once had. Poulonsis says that the power block doesn't need to all agree on fascism for it, exist, for it to exist, and this is pretty obvious. He writes that fascism is caused by, quote, profound political disorientation of the power block within which the fascist party with the open support of the big monopoly capital class fraction Peter Thiel came by steps and turns to fill the void left by the breaking of the representational ties of the classic political parties. As a result, the bourgeoisie and its allies stood by and watched the elimination of these parties by the fascist party, end quote. Poulonsis writes a lot more about fascism, way, way more in depth. He wrote the book Fascism and Dictatorship. You can read a fairly long excerpt and a paraphrase from Verso Books blogs. I'll put that in the show no notes. But th that's his basic overview of what happens to political structures. Um, and uh, he then goes on to talk about more specifically about capital and ideologies relation to fascism, etc. Groove smashing. Yay, capitalism. <laughs> now, the point is, and I'm tying this all back to Peter Thiel and Curtis Yarman. Oh, what a loser. They are sided with ultra-elite capitalists. Thiel himself is obviously one of them, and Yarvin is the Rasputin. Peter Thiel realizes that the capitalist class is shrinking. Less people are having more money. And he's part of the elite 
of the elite. Fielding Wellingtonsworth? Hello. Livingston Winsterford? Yes. Amelia Bedford Furthington Chesterhill? Good day. And James William Bottomtooth? Well, no. Capitalists whose class status isn't threatened at all. In fact, Peter Thiel is structurally set up so that he can never fail. He has too much powerful capital he can leverage, and even if he went completely broke, he could still leverage the power he's gained. I might come back with some special power. Because of this, there's a crisis in the power block. Some of the politicians want to rein in the elite capitalists, you know, like Bernie Sanders would like to rein in the teals of the world because they know their extreme power threatens capitalism as we know it. I know it's hard to be in this position. But the Peter Teals of the world, who have full class consciousness, know they're the elite of the elite of the elite. Fielding Wellingtonsworth? Hello. Livingston Winsterford? Yes. And Peter Thiel advocates for neo-reactionary thought because it advocates for the elite of the elite capitalists seizing the entire state and turning the state into a megacorporation. This plan goes hand in hand with your average neo-Nazi because it would create a totalitarian state in the sense that all state and private enterprise are directed towards expanding state power. There would functionally be a monarchy because people with state power would be appointed by shareholders. This would often, logically, like happens in corporations, turn into hereditary monarchies. What would likely happen is a Holy Roman Empire model modified for capital. Like the state would be fragmented among different corporations. The corporations are the ones with direct control over your life while being part of the larger system. They would functionally be the state government, corporation, landlord, etc. all in one. One nation controlled by the media. Many of these corporations will have hereditary leaders. Some would allow the leader to be appointed by shareholders, like I said. Maybe some of the so-called good companies would allow some of the employees to even vote for their ruler. Wow! Don't be shy. You come get the voodoo. But even then, people would likely get more votes the more control of the company they have. And then some maybe, you know, some corporations would appoint people by the former leader. It, it just depends. It's completely undemocratic, like a corporation. It's not hard to imagine. Just imagine corporations existing the same way they do now, but then consuming the entire political system. It's maybe it's a time for the working class of this country to have a little bit of power in Washington rather than your billionaire campaign contrib contributors. And now we know from BuzzFeed that Peter Thiel was more intrinsically linked to the alt-right than we even knew for sure before. But here's the deal. This is the deal. I'll put the BuzzFeed article in the show notes. They go a lot more into specific about Peter Thiel's connection to the far right than I did. In terms of specific, I really only touched on a little bit of details. However, 
I always want to delve more into the ideological machinations of this stuff because after all, I am an ideologue. I am broadcasting ideology into your mind when you're listening to this. And news stories talk about the facts. These are facts. But they don't go as deep as I do. I see my job, aside from entertainment, <laughs> is connecting the theoretical world to the real world. And if you don't focus on the theoretical world when it comes to Peter Thiel, you really can't understand the things he does at all. You would not believe your eyes. And with that, this has been The Society Show. I'm going to close the show, but I got something important to say first. I've explained Peter Thiel's ideological peers and the ideology that Peter Thiel ostensibly identifies with. I've talked a lot on the show about the type of crap they were constantly crapping on themselves Peter Thiel has done and he will undoubtedly be due in the coming future. So I'm calling you out, Peter Thiel. I'm calling you out. I'm also calling out your pencil neck associates like Curtis Yarvin, who is Peter Thiel's liaison to his style of pro-monarchy, pro-feudal, pro-eugenics, techno-neoliberal, far-right world, whatever. I'm also calling out Eric Weinstein, Peter Thiel's liaison to the center-right, libertarian, bonehead, like, you know, people who think they're smart but they're not actually smart crowd. He's reaching out to them. And I'm also calling out Jeff Giese, who is Peter's Teal's liaison uh, to, you know, the dopey, maggot proud boy far right. And I'm calling out any other bozo who disseminates ideology for Peter Teal. I'm making a new feature of the show. I'm putting you, Peter Teal, and all the others on the official society show denunciation list. Oh yeah, you're laughing? You know what? You know what's gonna happen? Oh, you know what's happening to you right now? Huh, you know what's gonna happen? What? You just made the list! You have all been formally denounced by the show. I denounce him and detained him. I strip him of all ranks and titles, of all lands and holdings. I'll be adding names to it when people really start really freaking pissing me off. But right now, Peter Thiel, you are enemy number one of the society show. The who? The her? Uh, with all that being said, this has been the society show. Society. Thank you for listening. My name is Christian. You can follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool, Christian IZ cool. You can follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. You can contact the podcast if you uh, want me to talk about anything, have any questions, just want to say hi, whatever it may be, uh, at the email, email podcast at gmail.com. And with all that being said, thank you for listening to the Society Show. Till next time, take care of yourself and each other. <laughs>
on the next Arrested Development. Fuck, it's a Sunday. Remember, remember the 5th of November. The price is wrong, bitch. How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? Rats off to you. Oh, wow. Tom, did you come up with that on oh, your own? Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you. Oh. I, you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Oh, just read Who? the manuals. Read the books. Manuals? Read the what books. Manuals? Read the books. What books?